you for downloading and happiness. Dare to be happy. We are two curious friends that want to explore what makes us happy. In each episode, we will take a topic in alphabetical order and discuss how it relates to and impacts happiness. We will live the experience of each concept through a dare that we set each other and then talk about how it affected our happiness. As well as diving into psychological theories and evidence which supports or contradicts our personal experiences. In other words, in this show, psychology meets play. I'm Kitty Newman, Director of Trapeze Media, a digital marketing agency that leads with social. My company philosophy is based on the importance of play in all our lives and how important it is to be happy at work. I have been obsessed with the circus for a few years, hence the name Trapeze Media, and making time for things like handstands and aerial in amongst the day-to-day challenges that come with running a successful business makes me happy. My name is Claudia Mitura. I'm a work psychologist and learning and development specialist with a purpose to boost happiness in the workplace. I love experimenting and applying scientific research on happiness to my daily ups and downs, or just to prove my other half wrong. I also like to look for happiness in unusual places, so I won't shy away from diving with sharks or starring in a pantomime. Sometimes this gets me in trouble. Hi, Claudia. We're going to be talking this week, resilience and happiness. Hi, Kitty. I'm so excited about this episode. Claudia, is there ever an episode you're not excited about? (laughs) Actually, no. You know that I'm easily excitable and this is a good topic to talk about. I mentioned this topic to a friend and she jumped up her seat with excitement about this particular topic. So I too am looking forward to seeing what happens and where it goes. I think resilience currently, because we are in a quite tricky times, it's very on topic. And I think we really need to be looking after our happiness and our resilience. And because it's so important, we have a special guest. Mm, I love a guest. We'll be speaking with Sarah Metcalf, who is a Chief Happiness Officer at Happy Coffee Consulting. I mean, what a title. Yeah, it's pretty bold. Yes, it is. Happy Coffee Consulting is an organization that provides international keynotes, workshops, training and company coaching to create happier workplaces. So they are absolutely crazy about happiness like us, Kitty. We can find out more information about Sarah's work on happycoffeeconsulting.co.uk. Sarah is also one of the brains behind the Global Online Summit on Happiness at Work and the Wuhu Academy, which is an intensive in-depth training on creating happy in workplaces. And on 19th of November, Sarah also recommends joining the Happiness at Work Conference 2020. If you would like to get involved, you can visit happinessatwork.cz. She's spreading happiness left, right and center globally. Well, I cannot wait to meet her and talk about resilience and happiness. Sarah, welcome to the show and happiness. And thank you so much for agreeing to talk to us about resilience. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. It's a total pleasure to be here with you, ladies. We are recording in quite challenging and tricky times, 
And resilience seems to be quite important ability to bounce back and deal with adversity in a constructive way. I was hoping to find out a little bit more from you around the resilience and as a chief happiness officer, how do you define and introduce resilience to your clients? It's a great question. And it's so important right now as we go back down into lockdown this week. So I think the first thing is when I think about resilience, it's our ability to cope with stressful or traumatic situations. It's how we pick ourselves back up when we've fallen down. And I read an interesting description of it, which was the ability to keep moving, which I really enjoyed, even if it feels like you're walking through treacle. Can you put one foot in front of the other? Right now, kind of building our resilience is super, super critical because we've had a really long and stressful time, which we thought might end. And now there is no end currently in sight. And so how do you pick yourself back up? How do you gird your loins, if you will, as we head back into this period of lockdown for us? But also, you know, across the world, there's lots of kind of crises going on that can affect people. And we hear and see and read about them more and more. So from your experience, can resilience be broken down into any specific components or practical skills that we can start implementing to be more resilient and therefore deal with the current adversity and the situation in a positive way? Yeah, I mean, there's tons of different things that we can do. And I guess from a happiness perspective, I think it's really interesting that a lot of the tools that we use for creating happiness are actually the same tools that help us with resilience. So happiness is kind of this wonderful umbrella that when we try to focus on that and the tools that we use, as you guys are doing, you're going to the A to Z. So I'm sure I'm speaking to the experts here. But actually, if we focus on happiness, then all these other outcomes are the things that kind of come out of them. So we could be inspired by focusing on happiness and then kind of resilience and all the other types of things, you know, your ABCDs are the things that come out of that. I mean, there are like emotional resilience, there's physical resilience, so our bodies and things like that. And then there's the wonderful idea of community resilience, so how groups of people respond to adverse situations. You know, if we think about the things that we practice in the happiness world under the happiness banner, so things like gratitude, journaling, random acts of kindness, one of the major ways that we can become more resilient is to enhance our ability to have positive emotions. And that's one of the things that has an equal benefit in terms of resilience. So if you're focusing on these small acts of positive moments, then you're going to exercise your resilience skills as well. I love that. And you mentioned gratitude. And you know what? Kitty's favorite episode in the entire alphabet is gratitude. Mine too, mine too. I was really sad that I didn't get to do G because that's my favorite too. Oh, it changed my brain. It does change your brain. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. And actually, if you were just going to do one thing to improve your resilience, I'd say gratitude for sure. That makes so much sense to me because on the gratitude episode, one of the things that I was grateful for in that week where we did daily gratitudes to each other, Claudia and I, was that I had had challenges at work before so that I could see these problems as not so devastating anymore. And one of the days that I woke up, I was like, do you know what? I am really grateful that I had a hard time with it before, because actually I don't find this as much of a challenge today. And it would have been a big challenge before, but I'm not. And actually I'm enjoying different elements of that problem because I knew I could get through it. 
that's like the perfect description of resilience and building resilience. Absolutely. And that idea of being present, again, that's something that can help you with resilience. We have this negativity bias in our brains, right? So we automatically weight negative things more heavily. Instead of kind of allowing yourself to just be in the moment and sit with your discomfort, if you just kind of let your negativity bias go, you will spiral out of control. I saw it happen in an exercise we ran with a group the other week, and it was amazing. They fed off each other, and they just went down this negative spiral. And like, literally, one of the things they said was death, you know, <laughs> it was like, they just went, right? Whereas if you can say, this is a challenging situation, right? And that's part of resilience, right? Is what's true and what's not. And really kind of questioning yourself on that behavior and being present with it, being a discomfort and going, yep, that was challenging. And then you kind of give yourself again, you open up from that negative brain that shuts down and stops you being able to see possibilities. If you can accept, yeah, this is there, take a deep breath, turn off your fight or flight, then you start to see the possibilities. And like what you did, Kitty, you start to go, oh, that's okay. I see the positives of this challenge. And I'm now more able to deal with something in the future. I absolutely love this entire aspect of how our brain goes into this negative spiral. Because as part of the therefore resilience for me and Kitty was to practice one tool to boost our resilience. And for me, the most important tools that I need to practice is always to do with clarity of my perception of the situation. So when something challenging happens, my my brain goes straight into catastrophizing and into that negative spiral. I need to stop myself and be very strict with myself that, well, what is the reality here? What is actually happening? And I find that writing down my anxious thoughts help me to park them and then be more objective, like they become external of me. I'm not my thoughts anymore. They exist on a piece of paper. And now I can take a deep breath and see this situation more clearly. It's kind of how we can have that clarity of the situation. So Kitty, what's one of the resilience tools have you practiced this week? Well, I wrote down experiences that I had had where I know that I've become more resilient within them. So within work, when I've lost accounts, I found it very difficult and I've taken it very personally. So we did lose an account not that long ago. And instead of taking it personally, I could see that there were all of these different factors that were out of my control that meant that we weren't going to work on that account again. And I could see all the positive things that they were saying about us rather than just thinking I'd done a terrible job and that they were leaving because they hate me. That's brilliant. That is a huge mindset shift. And it just made me feel so much calmer and it felt more empowering than it did feel totally anxiety fueling and that whole negative spiral. Then that trickles into other work where I think, oh God, well, if I'm doing this wrong, let's do this and thinking about how everything else is probably going wrong and I don't know about it. And now actually it's like, well, just take a second and see what the truth is. And then also looking at the first lockdown and as we've said, moving into this second lockdown, my approach is so different. <laughs> I'm not in a knee-jerk panic mode because I know what's gone before. We're still here. The business is still running. Luckily, obviously that's a different situation to other people, but there will be other resilience that people who have lost their jobs have built. And I would love to hear how other people in those positions 
are feeling about this second lockdown with those ideas of resilience. I've come to it a lot calmer with a bit of a different perspective of we're not going to try and kill ourselves to keep clients happy because we worked so hard during the first lockdown and actually it was not the right choice for mental health. But this time I feel very in control having gone through it before and built up that resilience to it, I think. And that's so important, isn't it? I'm really interested in kind of resilience and what's happened because a lot of people who have skills in resilience are people who had bad things happen to them and they've learned that actually it's okay after that, you know, like you have to work through it and you have to deal with it. And so if we can, you know, practice these skills and again, the not catastrophizing and asking yourself questions like, is the story of telling myself true? Then you start to learn, like you just said, you've learned so much. You're actually going to have a better second lockdown because you've already been through one and you know what worked and what didn't and you're able to apply that and learn it. Your elasticity in your brain is working. You're doing all of this learning by stopping, being in the moments, thinking about it, being grateful for all of the stuff that you had, like you still have your job. All of these things are helping you to do that. It's amazing to hear. I think coming back to this entire aspect that there is eternal reality and then our brain creates interpretation of it. I remember that during your Global Happiness Summit, Sai Wakeman was speaking a lot about reality-based leadership. And she was proposing to do this reality check by asking three questions. What do I know for sure? What can I do right now to help? And if I were to be great and the best version of myself, what would it look like? And I found those three questions so inspirational, so simple. How do you personally boost your resilience and deal with that reality check? Yeah, well, if I only have one answer, it's probably already given away, but it's gratitude for me. It's really funny because if I told my story on paper, it doesn't sound like I had a great childhood. You know, my parents were divorced. My mom lived under the poverty line, you know, in Canada where the poverty line is quite low. And, you know, she was working poor and I ended up having my first son when I was a teenager. I had a whole host of things that on paper, my upbringing doesn't sound great. But the reality that I lived, I thought I had a great childhood. I grew up on one of the most beautiful places in the world, Vancouver Island. I had a loving family. I graduated top of my class. I had great jobs. I was class president. (laughs) So I think I was very lucky in that I learned from my mother and she learned it from her mother, who was actually a World War II war bride from England, to appreciate the small things in life and to be grateful. And I spent almost all of my childhood, I realized looking back now, learning to look at my life and appreciate the good things things that were actually there. And I probably had lots of like negative experiences that I learned actually it was fine afterwards. And I am who I am because of those experiences. And I quite like me. So, you know, time is a brilliant healer. I guess that's how I stay resilient. And it is more difficult now, I think, than it's ever been. I think one of the things for me that's really clear is one of the things that makes people resilient and also happy is their social support network. And so that being taken away from us or putting things up in front of us is definitely something that is super important to realize and to see how we can build our community to help each other. Because again, our ability as humans to come together in times of hardship and disaster is where a lot of the resilience comes from. So how do you stay connected and be connected? Personally, it's being grateful. And again, asking myself what's true? What do I know for real? Because it is so easy to just jump off that crazy cliff. (laughs) (laughs) 
Sarah, you sound like a real optimist. Are there any specific components towards being more optimistic rather than pessimistic in terms of our thinking? That's a great question. And, you know, I am a more optimistic person and I am a happier, probably baseline person. So resilience is similar to happiness. Everyone has kind of a baseline and you can only work with what you're given, right? So I think I'm quite lucky. I have a very high happiness and optimistic baseline. But I always think of optimism in terms of, and I love like kind of the scientific factors that come into this is that, you know, we have to weight positivity more heavily because of that negativity bias we've been talking about. So, it's not about looking through rose-tinted glasses. It is back to that question of what do I know for sure? And I would say, you know, weighting positive things can be a real challenge for a lot of people. And especially I think people who maybe have a slightly more negative basis. But I think to make everything equal, because our brain gives more weight to negative things. You know, we like to think of ourselves as rational creatures, and I can look at this objectively and stuff, but we don't. We weight the negative more heavily. So we have to recognize and call out the positives more often. And I think that's a real key for, again, this kind of optimism and resiliency is to recognize more the positives so that we're then on an even uh, playing field. I know there's some different research says different things about what's the right ratio of negative to positive to give you that equitable thing. But I've heard everything from like a three to one ratio to a 26 to one ratio. Yeah, I'm not sure 26 to one, how we can achieve that. Is that ratio number of positive emotions to negative that we should have, let's say throughout the day or within a certain task or within relationships? No, they're within days. And the 26 to one is more on terms of to have a positive customer experience is, is where that one actually works into. But it's still about the positive to negative ratio in terms of what people take away. There's tons of different science and they all say different things. We know that the actual outcome, there's not a magic number, but it's definitely about having more positive than negative. And all that does, again, it's not rose tinted glasses. It is about actually looking at the world through an equal lens because we have that negativity bias and to really like acknowledge that and say, I appreciate there are bad things, but what I'm choosing is, again, it's that motion thing. I'm choosing to move forward. I'm choosing to acknowledge those negative things and then I'm going to move forward with the positive things. And that's kind of, you know, how do you keep going? What's your purpose on the other side? My co-director was diagnosed with breast cancer and she set herself a purpose to get her through chemotherapy, which is a really horrific kind of experience to go through. And there's not a lot of positives there, but having something on the other side is what kept her going. That was her North Star. She had that ability to just anchor herself to it. And so again, connecting ourselves with what are we doing this for? What is the purpose? When you're climbing up a really difficult mountain and the rain is pouring down on you, just connecting with why you're doing that. The same thing right now. Why are we locking down? Well, doing something for someone else is a way to help our resilience, right? It's a way to create that sense of community. So how can we connect what we have to do with the things that motivate us and that keep us being able to put one foot in front of the other? Mm, Oh, that's a very big question. I'm just thinking that for me personally, it's always about this hope of change. I always feel that if I'm in a quite my black hole, let's say, and things are quite bad and I feel that if I'm not going to do anything then the likelihood of me staying in my black hole increases if I at least do something one little step as you said then I have a chance of something changing yes something can get even worse sometimes but there is this hope for something changing for a better and that's a brilliant way to look at it 
When I said to a friend of mine that we were going to record Resilience, she got very animated and excited and said that she thinks it's one of the most important things to teach young children how to be resilient. But is it something you can teach or do you have to experience it? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, I'm not like the professional on resilience, but I know I definitely see it in my children. You know, obviously with my background, I've tried to give my children a better life than I have. And I would say they are not as resilient as I am. So... There's a happy medium. But I think also just like allowing failure, right? Like allowing people and children, especially to fail safely. We don't let our children do stuff that I used to do without blinking. You know, I saw some kids riding their bicycles out on the road by themselves. And they were probably like eight or nine. And my first reaction was like, Oh, my God, what are those kids doing out there by themselves? And I mean, when I was eight or nine, I think I like would leave the house with my friends and say, like, I knew what time I had to be home. There was no mobile phones, we couldn't do any of those things. So I think we now have to be intentional about creating the space for them to have that because it's so easy and it's easier or better or or whatever at the moment for us to be in control. And even to the point of like mobile phones, kids, they're not failing because they know there is this safety net. Someone will always find them. Someone will always get them. They can always reach someone. So they're not learning those skills about their own judgment that they should. So I do think that some of it is definitely learned by failing. But as parents, we can probably do a better job or I can do not to judge other people's parenting, but I know I could do a better job. And I actively try to do that a better job of creating environments where my children can be in safe, scary situations. So they learn if they fall and hurt themselves, what that feels like if they get themselves into trouble, they can get out of it again, right? I think that is a really powerful thing to learn. I think that's an amazing question, Sarah, because I think obviously you don't want to put them at any harm or at risk on purpose. (laughs) You don't want to make them feel like they are in some kind of experimental setting. You know, you don't want to do that, but you're trying to expose them to life situations when they need to manage on their own. And that, I think, builds also this idea of confidence, right? We need to have a belief that we can deal with life. And the moment we start doubting ourselves, I think that's when it becomes really tricky. If we feel, oh my God, I don't have tools, resources of people around me to be able to deal with this because it's completely new. So how we can instill that confidence in our children and future generation that, hey, yes, you can do this. I think it's so much of it is about creating space to fail and boundaries. There's a great book Rutger Bregman wrote called Humankind, and it has a whole area on it about these, in quotation marks, unsafe playgrounds that started coming up. And it's brilliant. It's a really brilliant read. I won't paraphrase it because I'm sure I'll get something wrong. But it was just about, you know, letting kids go and play with seemingly dangerous kind of old cars and, you know, rusty things and all these other kinds of things. But they never had any injuries or anything because the kids created their own communities and they were able to judge risk. And I think this is this real piece about resilience. Again, if you don't know that when something goes bad, you have the ability to rescue yourself and get out of it. Think about how that will impact how you think about things and how resilient you might end up being or not being in the future. You know, whereas if you have, by the time you're 12, gotten yourself and your friends out of what seems like a myriad of adventures and, uh, you know, crazy escape experiences, well, maybe if you look back at them, they weren't actually that scary, but you mastered them. And so then you were able to trust your judgment. You knew what worked, what didn't. You knew how working together got you out of those things. And then you can try the next biggest thing. And so, I think it's a really important skill. Obviously, if we haven't done that to our children, and I'm sure I could do better and many of us could, 
it is sometimes about letting people find their own way and letting them fail because failure is not nice, but similar to what we were talking about earlier, Kitty, you found out that it wasn't as bad as you thought it was. Our negative brains, once again, will always think it's worse than it actually might be in reality. you work with lots of different organizations to create happier workplaces. So how do you build resilience at the organizational level so that business is resilient and is able to cope with adversity in a constructive way? I wish there was like a super short answer because then I would be a millionaire. The answer is happiness. You know, it's team connection. It's creating, you know, if your business is one of those communities that we were talking about that has community resilience. So if you as a business embrace the idea of gratitude, taking care of your people, creating this community, purpose and meaning, ensuring there's connection and social support within the teams, I really think right now is the time when businesses should only be focusing on their people. And I think like happiness, the outcomes of business will be the outcome. You know, if you build a strong culture where people are connected to the purpose, where they know what needs to happen, where you have transparency of figures and stuff like that, then your business will be a place where everybody does the right thing if they know the direction that your ship is going in. You know, they will all trim the sails or row together where the need to be. But our job, what we're trying to do is to create more connected teams who are happier. That's what we find when people are connected to their teams, when they feel that they're doing great work together with great people, then the outcomes that you want, be it higher profits or better resilience or ability to make it through these difficult times, those are all massively improved by creating this real personal connection between people. And I think now, actually, we've lost all of the things that businesses have historically given. So, you know, we don't have free coffee, nap pods, beautiful offices, you know, all the stuff that actually doesn't do anything to increase happiness. And all that we're left with is actually the two things that we believe in, which is, like I said, it's results and relationships are doing great work together with great people. That's the only thing when you're stuck in a lockdown situation, you know, results is achieving the goals your business is setting and keeping it afloat or continuing to be profitable, all these things. And then most importantly, together with great people, you know, and really giving time. My business is called Happy Coffee because I think that so many businesses could be changed by leaders just actually going and having a coffee with people who work in their business and asking them some questions and just listening. That's the easiest thing you can literally do. Everyone likes, you know, a hot beverage in the morning. (laughs) It doesn't have to be coffee, but for me, that's the real key. And that's how businesses can make that change. Well, that was very interesting. Lots of great tips from Sarah. And I think just to really summarize, resilience is a skill we can learn. It's very much about managing our energy, having that future goal and purpose, having flexible thinking, keep checking whether what are you perceiving is actually the reality or are you catastrophizing a little bit like myself and have that community and connection and strong relationships. Anything else that you learned, Keith? 
Kitty. Yeah, I just always think how amazing our alphabet is in the way that it seeps into these bigger topics. And I felt like so much of what Sarah was saying about resilience was just going through our alphabet. So acceptance, empathy, courage to kind of keep going through these challenging times, kindness and Obviously, the big winner, gratitude, the big top hitter, always coming in there. I really did think so many of our dares throughout our alphabet all feed into being able to be a resilient person. I agree. So what's next week, Kitty? Next week, Claudia, is social media and happiness. Now, there's a lot of pressure on me on this one. I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself because I work in social media. I have a lot of strong opinions and I don't know how we're going to talk about everything in half an hour. (laughs) Oh, Kitty, you know what? I'm actually putting lots of pressure on you as well because I have very high expectations of what are you going to teach me about social media because I'm not such a conscious social media user, I would say. Well, I think that's an interesting take. What will be interesting is you and your use of social media, me and my very constant use of social media. So my dare to you, Claudia, is to watch the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. Okay. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. And I've been avoiding it, to be honest, because I wasn't sure how positive it is. But now having this there, then I'll do it. And is it okay for me to have some reflections and maybe think about tools that we can take in terms of managing the social media more constructively? Absolutely. Good, you agree, Kitty. Yeah, I think we all need to think about social media and how we use social media better in our lives. It's not going anywhere. I think it's important to learn how we can use social media in our lives in a happy and healthy way. Brilliant. Go on the website andhappiness.co.uk and tell all your friends. And we dare you to be happy. We dare you to be happy. Bye. Bye. Bye.